0: Hello and welcome to another episode If You Could Hide to Colob podcast We're grateful to be with you today From whichever medium you are joining us from We are doing chapters 11 11- through 15 in 1st Nephi today. My name is Daniel and this is Clive. You kick us off with the, with the quote to start us off.
1: Okay, I have a quote here from Ezra Taft Benson. He says, the mission of the church is to herald the message of salvation and make unmistakably clear the pathway to exaltation. Our mission is to prepare a people for the coming of the Lord. As the world drifts further from the Lord and standards of virtue and honor, we may expect opposition to work of the church We may expect to see the time, as the Book of Mormon forecasts, when multitudes among all nations of the Gentiles will gather to fight against the Lamb of God. The power of God and the righteousness of the saints will be the means by which the church will be spared. And I really like that quote because it ties into a lot of things that we're going to be reading today from the visions that Nephi has. Right.
0: Okay. Intense. That was quite intense. (laughs) Great quote. Okay. Awesome. Chapters 11 through to 15 are really in detail. A lot is, it's essentially Nephi being taught. And there's 13 separate apocalyptic visions. Nephi is being shown the mysteries, essentially, the mysteries of God. And he's actually undergoing training. He has these angelic mediators. Who take him step by step through what he needs to know, and what I love, Clive, is in chapter eleven, halfway through verse one, and I sat pondering in mine heart, and was caught away in the spirit of the Lord. This is really similar to Moses and loads of other people who have this same prophetic—I'm going to call it prophetic—experience where they go away, and they're, they're essentially they get their prophetic call. He's a, he's into an exceedingly high mountain, which I'd never before seen, and upon which I'd never before set my foot. So Nephi is taken away. He's physically moved somewhere else, it seems. And like Moses, like Lehi, he is called as a as a prophet.
1: So you mentioned the other week about Lehi being called as a prophet. So when you say prophet, yeah. he's they're both prophets. Would you say Lehi's president of the prophets? Like our prophet today, we call him the prophet, but... There's really many prophets, and he is the president of the prophets. Is that sort of the idea?
0: Exactly right.
1: I think that Lehi is the
0: patriarch of the this re- particular religious movement, and Nephi is taught and called as well. It's not just all on Lehi's shoulders, although Lehi is the leader of of the church, and Lehi is the one that leads the family to the promised land. Of course, right. Um, so Nephi. But Nephi still undergoes this while Lehi is alive. It's almost, it seems to me at least, that from this point on, right the way through the Book of Mormon, that prophetic calling of the person is quite seamless. There's not a stop. Um, for someone to decide who's the next one. See, whether there's, black
1: smoke or white smoke.
0: Yeah, 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 right. So in our case, there is just a continuation. There's just an always moving forward continuation. The other part that I really like about this, and in our second episode, when we talked about the valley, we, we talked about the waters of Moses, and this is a potential, where they are, because they're still in the valley of Lemuel, right? Yep. And in the valley of Lemuel, there's a there's some theories that this is where Moses was and some great work by George Potter and other people who we've already talked about here what they a great theory that they've got or an interesting theory that they've got is that Mount Sinai wasn't too far from here and that there's a chance that Nephi was taken up to Mount Sinai
1: where Moses was that well, that makes sense with what you were saying. Yeah, like I said the other we you know, they they went through the same path. I guess it makes sense that he's taken to the same. I, I guess a holy mountain. Same, same yeah, place.
0: yeah, ho- a holy mountain, and and think of it as like a
1: temple. Right, holy land. Take your shoes off, holy, like Moses did.
0: And in this case as well, Mount Sinai, this area, that would have been the only temple for those people. There were no other temples made, and so even. So there's a good chance that the people at the time may have gone, like, and I'm talking in Moses' time now, may have gone to that same area to pray and that same area to feel closest to God. There was no other physical places that they could do their worshipping. Right. So in in Nephi's case, it makes sense that that he was taken to Mount Sinai and was called to be a prophet and goes through the training and the understanding and getting him up to speed of what his father potentially was up to speed, it all happened in that location. Just a real
1: interesting food for thought. Just something from you mentioning that. I was looking through both Nephi's vision and Lehi's vision, and I just wanted to look at some comparisons. So Lehi, his vision came from a dream. He said, I dreamed a dream. Where Nephi's vision, as you said, he, after much pondering, he was carried away in the spirit of the Lord up to this mountain. Now, in Lehi's vision, he saw a man dressed in white, and they traveled, and then he was left in darkness for hours. where right. Nephi he was wandering, right? Exactly. And then he prayed to God, and then, you know, it was shown all these things. But in Nephi's vision, straight away, uh, the spirit of the Lord, whomever it may have been, gave him a brief of everything that he was about to see. Then, in the next thing, he's shown the tree, and he's asked the meaning, where Lehi sees the tree in the field, after the darkness dissipates. Then Nephi's vision shown Mary, Jesus Christ's mother, Mm -hmm. uh, where Lehi is shown his family, or at least he sees his family. Then Nephi's vision, he's seen the iron rod, and he knew that it was the Word of God, where in Lehi's vision, he sees the iron rod, and he sees that that is the only way to the tree. So he sees this Laman and Lemuel, tells them to hold on to the rod to get to the tree.
0: Then, Like it, as in Le, like as in, they, they both see the same thing but get a different understanding?
1: I mean, again, I'm saying these things. These are the differences between Lehi's vision and Nephi's vision. We've got to remember Lehi's vision is an abridgment of the actual things that he saw. If we had the book of Lehi, it probably gave us a bit more of an idea, which I feel like I bring I- up every episode.
0: I was about to say, at what at what number episode will we stop asking for the Book of Lehi?
1: Is that yet? (laughs) Maybe, maybe, maybe this will be the last bit. (laughs) Uh, Next thing, Nephi is shown in vision Jesus Christ being baptized, and Lehi sees the same thing. Nephi, let,
0: let me ask you, let me ask you something very quickly. Okay. What did Nephi see? Because you've mentioned a couple of things here. You've mentioned that he saw he saw Christ and Christ was preordained to go through in go through from pre-life to create the world, come down, be born and be crucified in a very in a very small small nutshell. You've talked about he sees Mary. Yep. But he couldn't have seen Mary. Or could he? Could he have seen Mary because to see Mary means that Mary had... Does it... Well, let me ask you this. Maybe I'm jumping to conclusions. Does it mean that Mary did not have free agency to choose to be Mary? God's laws are that we all get free agency to do whatever we like, regardless of how good we were in the pre-life and that if we fulfill the measure of our creation, we would be i Z. I'm just saying, what could he actually have seen? Because he couldn't have seen Mary as we know Mary. Because to see Mary
1: is to see the future. The future doesn't exist. Is to see Mary's the, parents that would have had to come together. Her grandparents would have had to come together for her to look that exact way.
0: That's right. Because the future is not written. It's up to Mary to get herself in the situation she was in. There's some, you know, I won't. There's, you know, in the Book of Bartholomew, it talks about Mary and the temple and all sorts of other things. He it, couldn't have seen Mary. It,
1: it's interesting. Is what I'm
0: getting. At. I don't know how many times I, I just. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I, he couldn't have seen these things in specifics. That's
1: right. It's always been something, actually, I've, I've thought about how you, we don't see the future. It's it's not a thing because you're right. That means that everything is already set out exactly the way it is. The way I always imagine it in my mind, and this metaphor might not work for everyone, but I like to right. play chess. And I'm teaching my kids how to play chess.
0: From well, they must really think you're... <laughs>
1: <laughs> from everything... Every time they think they know the right move, I can predict quite well because I've played with them and I've around them and they're they're seven and eight that (laughs) (laughs) that I I know for a surety. I would say 99% sure what move they're going to do as soon as I move so I can, you know. If I do this, I know they're most definitely going to do this. And if I do this, I know they're most definitely going to do this. And I feel like that's probably the same with God. No, we can't see the future, but God knows our hearts. We've been around him longer than anyone's been around anyone else, you know, in the pre-existence. He knows us. He knows, okay, well, Mary, you are going to be this wonderful person that comes down to earth and you are going to be the one chosen. Because I know that you're going to follow the right way. Whatever things that, that I put in front of you, you're going to make the the moves that, that you're going to make. So I do know what you're saying. I do know what you're saying because God knows us so,
0: so well and knows most likely tomorrow what I'll do. Will I wake up? Will I read my scriptures? Will I say my prayers? What, what will I? And, and knows us so incredibly well, so intimately well. Yep that it's easy for him to predict what we'll do tomorrow.
1: Exactly. But um, it's still our decision. Good, or bad, or the ugly. It's, it's still our still call. It's still our call. You know, he knows that...
0: Well, well it's, not, it's not still our call. It's always our call. Of course, always. But, but God knows what call we will most likely make. So in this case, I don't think, and I'm going to give my opinion here and I'll be interested to see if you agree or not, I don't think he saw actual Mary... He says, and I said unto him, a virgin most beautiful and fair above all other virgins. I think that he sees the story. He sees the plan.
1: He sees, he sees the call. I don't know if he sees actual Mary. I guess one of the differences here is Lehi is given a book and he sees the destruction of Jerusalem in the book and right. i suppose yeah what you're saying makes sense with him perhaps not seeing it but maybe reading it or seeing whatever the book being may be the plan? yeah shown in this book there will be this angelic being and also he can describe it as the most beautiful person he's ever seen will be the one to bring forth the son of god yeah i think and you're right just, I-, I agree yeah. i don't think he saw the future i don't think he saw mary in blue you know and i don't think he saw Jesus Christ, the way that he will be, but I think he saw the essence of the story i well, I believe as well I agree
0: yeah well but for christ it's it it Christ was never not going to happen. But he couldn't there see a...
1: everything around Christ, could he? He couldn't see the actual True. people that were on the crosses next to him. He couldn't see who the people were that were whipping him. He couldn't see those people. He, he you know yeah. I think They still had to make a choice, right? Exactly. They still had to make the choice to be there. You know, the Yeah, but I mean Jesus' plan has always been the perfect plan, has always been around. So that's that, story... what that
0: so so Christ um, the angel said to me, Behold the Lamb of God, yea, even the Son of the Eternal Father which thou knowest. I think that he would have seen Christ. I, I I would say yes, because Christ was always going to happen. The stuff around, of course, unsure. And the people playing a role playing in the background, unsure. But that's not to but say that Christ of... didn't
1: have a choice either. I mean he had a choice all through his life. Even to the very last point True. where he said, you know, Take this cup from me, you know, if I'd be willing, but not my will, but thine be done. You know, even to the very last moment, he still had that choice. Everyone's got a choice. That's what makes the plan work so well. Great. Okay. Well, that's that's
0: what I thought I would chip
1: in. What else have you got? Okay. So, uh, just a couple more things. Uh, I thought it was interesting that Lehi, in his vision, he saw the great and spacious building, and it was um, Nephi saw the great and spacious building fall. And I
0: thought, what verse are you up? Chapter eleven. 35 and 36. Yeah,
1: so it's 36, yeah. And it talks about the falling of the buildings is from pride. And I always thought that was interesting because Ezra Taft Benson, he he talks about that. He talks about that it was the pride of the world that crucified Christ. It's the pride of the world that is the reason people let go of the iron rod. And it's the proud in the great and spacious building that have fallen. The last point I want to make is Lehi sees the fountain of water where people drowned. And Nephi describes it as a filthy, he saw filthy fountains of water, and they are described as the depths of hell. So it's not as simple as let go of the rod and you drown. It's let go of the rod, and that's your, you know, that's the way that you could end up in filthy water, even to the depths of hell. And
0: the depths of hell aren't hell, right?
1: The depths of hell aren't hell, which is what we'll get into soon about. I guess the the great and abominable church or the God and Mammon. I guess it's there's yeah. one way and there's another way and there's only two ways. Well,
0: I think it's something to just point out in our in in our particular brand of religion, which which is so different to many others, is that we don't think that there is a hell. In fact, the celestial kingdom is what we would call hell
1: right that's right even the spirit world the spirit of prison described as hell hell's it's more of a state of mind of i could have been better or where am i confusion more than physical physical hell itself we we have the next the lowest down which is
0: challenge which is difficult to get into you wouldn't you don't want to try to get into them, and that that is perdition where there's not even a realm uh, yeah out of darkness not even in the realms for us to talk about but in terms of hell hell doesn't mean hell and
1: fire and caves and lava that's right satan will never be the ruler of a kingdom called hell. anything no
0: yeah yeah there is nowhere where he gets to be the boss no not at all unless you let him in your life bang Good on. You. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, let's go. Where else? What else are we up to?
1: Um Well, just a couple of things um, I wanted to mention. In chapter eleven, verse sixteen, the Spirit of the Lord, he says, "Knowest thou the condescension of God?" And that's when he talks about, you know, um, Jesus Christ coming to earth. Then he says in twenty-six, "Look and behold the condescension of God." And I just wanted to read this real quick. It says. Joseph Smith explained from his magnificent throne, Jesus Christ, the son of the world, all knowledgeable and all powerful descended. Indeed, it is sobering to ponder that he alone would come down from this glorified throne to face the most extreme humiliation and suffering that mortality could inflict. I think looking into that, I mean, you do. Jesus Christ is the one that helped create this world, created the universe, created all these planets. And then for him to come down for us to suffer, that's what the condescension of God is. Someone so great to come down to below any man. Okay, well that's chapter
0: 11 and we've we've bounced around a little bit there, but hopefully that's given you enough to kind of understand where it starts with Nephi's call and then it goes straight into Nephi being taught. There's a couple of interesting bits and pieces in there there in chapter chapter 11. So if we move over to chapter 12, we're now in the future, right? We're now we're now in the, in a future future state.
1: Well, yeah, future uh, for Nephi. Yeah, definitely. Because we're now
0: talking about the land of promise. Is this the is this the first time that Nephi shown the land of promise? Is this the first time he understands that they're
1: going to be somewhere else. That's right. Yeah, for Nephi, definitely. You know, obviously Lehi, again, he's seen it. But yeah, this is where Nephi gets to experience it as well.
0: And so they're in a different... So Nephi now sees that they're in a land of promise. He he essentially sees his seed. I like verse 4. So chapter 12, verse 4, And it came to pass that I saw a mist of darkness on the face of the land of promise. And I saw lightnings and thunderings and earthquakes and all manner of tumultuous noises. And I saw the earth and the rocks and they were rent. And I saw mountains tumbling into pieces. Like this is really, really in depth. Nephi is describing exactly what he's seeing. And I saw the plains of the earth and they were broken. I saw many cities, they were sunk. And I saw that they were burned with fire. And I saw that they did tumble to the earth because of the quaking thereof. Like he is writing exactly what he's seeing.
1: Yeah, hey, it is interesting that one. He's talking about the things that happen. Like you said, his seed. He sees his seed, then he sees all this destruction and all this, all these things that's come to pass. Yeah, that's uh, it's pretty full on. Just that one simple verse.
0: Yeah, incredible. And so there's one here that I wanted us to just talk about for a minute. And that was verse eight and verse nine. The angel unto the angel sp, um, spake unto me, saying, "Behold, the twelve disciples of the Lamb, who are chosen to minister." So Nephi's seen all of this destruction. He's seen and he's described it in a lot of detail in verse four. And then he sees Christ coming down, cause he said, "I also saw and bear record. The Holy Ghost fell upon twelve others." So verse 8 and verse 9, And the angel spake unto me, saying, Behold, the twelve disciples of the Lamb, who are chosen to minister unto thy seed. So that's something there of interest. And he said unto them, He said unto me, Thou rememberest the twelve apostles of the Lamb? Behold, they are are who shall judge the twelve tribes of Israel. Wherefore, the twelve ministers of thy seed shall be judged unto them for... Ye are of the house of Israel. So he's teaching him that he belongs to a group and he belongs. And within that group, within the group of the house of Israel, there are tribes. There are 12 of them.
1: So you're saying and, that the, the, these are sure. the actual 12 apostles of Jesus Christ? Yes. And they're the ones that are going to judge the 12 tribes?
0: They're, they're the ones that will that will work with Christ and judge and I've got some uh information here um, which John Taylor talked about in quite a bit of detail and I might put this up on our Instagram Hydakolob underscore podcast uh, for a little bit of extra reading it, because it is it there is a bit of detail here of, of the judgment and it will it, it really helps you and gives you a more rounded knowledge of, of that judgment and who that's going to be and who are the patriarchs of, of the seals as well. So I'll take a note, Clive, and I might put that up on our podcast, something to talk about. Verse 11 to 23 now is really a lot of the conflict that's going to happen in the land of promise. There, there is a bit of information here in 14, And the angel said to me, Behold thy seed and also the seed of thy brethren. Nephi learns that not only is there this thing, the land of promise, this place that they're going to go, but he learns that there's going to be a bunch of people that are called the Nephites. He learns that all of this is going to happen and he learns that there's going to be a war and it came to pass that I beheld after they had dwindled in unbelief. They became a dark and loathsome and a filthy people full of idleness and all manner of abominations. Ultimately, He sees that his seed will not continue with the gospel and that they will just dwindle away in in unbelief as it says there.
1: I wonder if he had this in mind when he sets up the laws and when he organizes his family. I wonder if he has in mind, okay, what can I do to prevent this? How can I organize my people? And we'll talk about later how Laman and Lemuel went off when Lehi died and I wonder if Nephi sort of went okay, they're going to go their separate way. I need to focus on my people. Instead of going, we're all staying together. We're all going to be stronger. And if we went, okay, well, I really need to focus on my seed and us not turning in that way that I'd seen in that vision. If you had that vision and you saw your great-great-grandchildren completely falling away from the church, almost going the opposite way, you'd go, all right, what can I do with my kids right now to help that not come to be? And I just wonder, if yeah. Nephi, in his mind, went, "How do I organize this so it won't come to be?"
0: Yeah, interesting, interesting point. Moving over to First Nephi thirteen, there is a little bit in here as well, and there. First of all, it goes into this uh, formation of a great church, and we then get this introduction. Um, how would you put it? A opposition. There's there's the one true gospel that Nephi is being taught. And now we're we're introduced to what seems to be one other church. But of course that can't be the case. There is thousands of other churches. But it certainly reads like there is one great, great church.
1: Yeah, right. One church of the Lamb of God and then one other church. Yeah, it does does very much read like that. Definitely.
0: What I get from this whole chapter is that, hey, don't worry about anyone else. Like... There's your one church and who cares what other churches there are like that's too complicated to worry about them and how big that is and how bad things are in my modern time I'm, ta- I'm I'm you know I'm giving you my perspective from now that there's one true gospel and then there's a whole heap of other stuff like don't worry about the other stuff just worry about what the one church you know of—that's
1: right. Come, but in terms of come what may and love it, as that um, great, great talk was. Come what may and love it. Basically, bad things are going to happen, but come what may and yeah, enjoy life.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And 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 there might be another. You know, there is a one one church, and then there's everything else. I think it's important. I've, I've talked with some, not lots, some people over the years that come across doctrine and they Daniel this is terrible what do you mean this is part of our church history but also like has that destroyed your whole testimony if so that's an issue and maybe we should be talking about other things more openly um, in classes as as, you know both and I both you and I do when we're teaching we try to Uncover all of the doctrine, not just not just the the nicer parts.
1: That's right, yeah. Because you're always going to get opposition. It seems like everywhere you turn, there's somebody who has something negative to say against the church. And if you're prepared in your arsenal of, well, I actually know that, I know the you know the reason behind it.
0: Yeah, I was actually um, only listening to a podcast today that I thought was a was a, was for our church. And I got like twenty minutes in, and realized this is very anti. What I actually wanted to bring the attention to here is verse twelve, which is super interesting. And that is this man, um, Nephi sees a man uh, who was separated. So he's a gentile, and and a, a gentile is is n- people who aren't of Jewish backgrounds. They're basically, you know, you would you would you would class them in this era as Europeans. I would say in this in this very era they're Euro- more European. And so behold a man among the gentiles who were separated from the seed of my brethren so from Nephi's ancestors they're separated by many waters. So Nephi sees that there is a land with all of his people and then there's a big massive ocean and then there's another land and that's got gentiles on it. And one of, these, one of these particular people, person, And I beheld the Spirit of God, that it came down and wrought upon the man, and he went forth upon the many waters, visits even unto the seed of my brethren who were in the promised land. So there's this one person who travels across and discovers, essentially, the promised land. And we refer that back to that that is uh, Christopher Columbus. Again, he is not seeing... Actual Christopher Columbus, he's seeing that God's great plan is that a man is going to sail from one land to another, and that ended up being Christopher Columbus as we know that as we know him. And so then there's one other part here that it refers to, and it, and this is verse 13. And it came to pass that I beheld the spirit of God, that it wrought upon other Gentiles. And they went forth out of captivity unto the many waters. So this land of promise, the promised land has been found, first of all, by this man. And then Nephi sees this great migration of lots and lots of Gentiles that move away from a, from this European land. And it had to have been a European land. He sees that they, they came forth out of captivity. And that word is really, really interesting because... Of course they didn't come out of physical captivity what they actually came out of is religious captivity in in Europe at the at the time of Christopher Columbus and hundreds of years after Columbus discovers America there is no religious freedom and that's what this verse is referring to them coming out of captivity and there is some really really interesting stories There's one particular guy called Giordano Bruno who was born in the late 1500s. And this is an example, Clive, I thought I would mention about what does religious captivity even mean? Like, and what did it mean back then? But this is in 1500s. And this guy, he is really interested in the stars and he's really interested in astrology. And he educates himself on the matter. He... Proposes that the earth is not the center of the universe. And at the time, the Aristotle and others, they had they say, well, the world is in the middle, and the sun revolves around the earth, and other things that we see in the sky revolve around the earth as well. And God made it like that because God's the man and the earth is in the middle and he blesses us and makes us the center of everything. And so Bruno, who I'll refer to him as Bruno, he, he says, that's, that's not the case. He says, there's, there's, that, that can't be the case because it means that the, the universe is finite, but you're telling me that your God is infinite. How can your God be infinite if actually the world is ti- the universe is tiny? it's just stuff spinning around the earth but back then he was taken really really poorly and he was locked up i think he was locked up for like 8 years and in the end he's burnt alive wow he's he's, he's literally burnt alive in the end he refuses he cuz he writes books and his books were i think they had like a public burning of a of books he'd written he yeah he's killed for for suggesting Anything other than what was the religious status quo at the time. But that's what I wanted to express by religious captivity. Now, we don't have any religious captivity. We could worship whatever we like. Um, people do. Like you see, cr- people do. Crazy, well, crazy crazy to us, maybe crazy to them as well. But people do. There's all kinds of random religions. I could register a religion, my own religion right now. Jedi's a religion. Um, Jedi is is Jedi religion. How do we get into that? <laughs> can we can we get into that? So, religious captivity was a real thing back then, and if your beliefs didn't weren't in
1: line with catholicism, you were jailed. And we did touch on that I think the first episode that the Lord prepared this land and for Joseph Smith to be born at the time because of this religious excitement because of the religious freedom that was in america at the time
0: right so and the great awakening we talked the, about as well exactly
1: yeah and i think it's yeah it's something that nephi was able to see and go okay my seed might not do so well but things will be put in place that eventually you know this will be the promised land again totally agree so
0: we then have a little bit more in here as well, which goes into some which is which goes into detail and which is really the the civil war in the US is seen as well, which might be some people might think is a little bit strange, a little bit topical, but it's important that America was a breakaway from the non-religious freedom that was experienced at Europe at the time. So the breakaway in the civil war in America becoming its own country was absolutely critical uh to than what would go on and happen in America. So an interesting an interesting couple of verses there. And then there's another part here, Clive, which is verse 23. And it's a bit of a long one, but I'm going to propose to you that this book spoken about is the Old Testament. And he said, behold... Uh, actually, he was talking about a book first, so 20. Canterpies that are Nephi beheld that they did prosper and the land... And I beheld a book, and it was carried forth among them. So there's a book carried forth among the people at the time that America was successful in the war. And he said unto me, The book that thou beholdest is a record of the Jews, which contains the covenants of the Lord, which he hath made unto the house of Israel. And it also containeth many of the prophecies of the holy prophets, and it is a record like unto the engravings which are upon the plates of brass, save there were not so many; no they contain the covenants of the Lord.
1: Um, wherefore, they are of great worth unto the Gentiles. So it was always my understanding that this is talking about the Bible. Yeah, well, there's a couple of things. It it, it
0: could be the Bible, and I and I'm more specifically saying Old Testament, because there's a, and I'm, I'm there's a couple of points here. One that the book thou beholdest is a record of the Jews. Is the New Testament a full record of the Jews? I'm not so sure it is.
1: It's a record of Jesus Christ, who was a Jew, I suppose. Uh, yeah,
0: I, I guess it, it, in terms of a lot of a lot of the of the New Testament is the is the apostles traveling to. European places to try to preach. Spread the word, yeah. To try to, to spread the word. And the word they were spreading, of course, was the, was the word of Christ. I'm not sure if they would have gone there saying that we're Jews.
1: Yeah, I suppose. Well, who is... Is there a specific Jew that it meant... It does say out of the mouth of a Jew. Is it talking about one specific person, do you think? More than well, a group? The, well, there is some great work done uh, by, a, by a particular...
0: Um, BYU person who proposes that this is Ezra the specific person proceeded from the mouth of a Jew and when it proceeded forth from the mouth of a Jew it contained the fullness of the gospel of the Lord uh, so when it proceedeth forth so the book that he's looking at we've got another uh, some, we, we've got another criteria and that is that when it proceedeth forth from the mouth of the Jew it contained the fullness of the gospel of the Lamb Ezra writes. Ezra writes a whole bunch of things as well and in the book of Ezra, which is an apocryphal, book.
1: So you're talking about so when you say apoc- apocryphal book, you're not talking about the yeah. book of Ezra in the Old Testament. You're talking about a different book of Ezra.
0: I'm talking about uh, Estras. Estras. Yeah. Which is, which, which is uh, an apoc. Ap- am I saying that right? Apocryphic. Sounds good. So is that Okay and because it's 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 a lot more work it's 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 a lot lot more about Ezra. So I'm going to put that on our Instagram as well and that we can we can have a look at that later. But it's something I thought I would raise in terms of what is this book? Is this book the Old Testament or is this book the the total Bible? And I wanted to give another point of view of what it could be because there is a lot of LDS work a lot of published LDS work that this is the Old Testament not the full Bible. So one example out of the book of Estrus which is which I think is Latin for Ezra which is why it's called Estrus in the in the apocrypha. There are some similarities. One of them here is actually if we just skip over a couple of verses. So Nephi is now being told that there's a few things that are missing. But Behold they have taken away from the gospel the lamb many pl- parts. Which are plain and most precious, and also many covenants of the Lord which they have taken away. And I don't want to get into how the Bible came to be. Maybe that'll be something we'll talk about later. And the, the the Grand Jewish Council, that I, th- I think Daniel was a part Daniel Lyons Den, I think he was a part of, which decided what books are going in the, into the Old Testament. But in in the Book of Esther, and I'll just make sure I've got this right here. Uh, so the second book, and there's there's chapters in this as well. So chapter fourteen. And it's verse 26. And when you have done this, some things you will publish openly and some things you will deliver in secret to the wise. Tomorrow at this hour, you will begin to write. So he says that not everything that he's going to write is actually even going to make it, is actually going to even go out. And this is is in similarities here where Nephi is being told similar, he's being told something along the same vein, which is lots of the stuff is gone. The plain and precious tooths are gone. They're not out for the people to, to actually learn from. They, they're not going to be in in existence at this future point in time when Columbus comes. The book's not going to be right, essentially. And it's interesting that Ezra's warned about this as well. Ezra's warned and says, you know, what, what you write down, hey, that's not going to get out to the world.
1: See, that's, yeah, that's interesting because, yeah, Nephi is warned about the plain and precious things to be taken away. I mean, you look even now, there's new bibles coming out that have bits and pieces missing to go with the doctrines of today even something as simple as the new world translation of the bible the jehovah's witness version they've taken out when the angel touches the water and whoever Mm -hmm. goes into the water is healed that's taken out of there because it doesn't line up with the things that they teach so there's a lot out there that are just taken and changed and we're lucky we've got the book of mormon joseph smith actually talks about he learned a lot of languages and he read different bibles and he interestingly said that i have an old edition of the new testament in latin hebrew german and greek i have been reading the german and find it to be the most correct translation and to correspond nearest to the revelations which god has given me oh so that's quite interesting so yeah there's a lot of plain and precious things taken away if we want to get to the closest one Better start learning German. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? <laughs> but yeah, it talks about the Bi- It talks a lot about the Bible coming forth, but not even that. Things like you said, things that have been taken away, things that have been hidden. In verse thirty-eight and thirty-nine of chapter thirteen, it talks about how there's books of the Lamb, and- Lamb of God proceeding out of the mouth of the Jew, as we've mentioned, and other books which shall come forth by the power of the Lamb from the Gentiles under the convincing of the Gentiles. So, yeah, the, the coming forth of the Book of Mormon. And then it talks about the coming forth of other books as well. So if you look at John 21, even verse 25, he talks about when Jesus Christ was around, he says, and there are many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, everyone, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. So there's right. so much out there that either isn't written down, or like you said, have been hidden up I mean, even the Book of Mormon, when Joseph Smith was shown the Book of Mormon, there was a sealed portion of the Book of Mormon. So there's still yes. a lot of things out there. And that's what Nephi has shown. There's plain and precious things that are going to be taken away. There's even things that can't be written. Dallin H. Oaks, he speaks of this. He says, we conclude from this that the Lord will eventually cause the inspired teachings he has given to his children in various nations to be brought forth for the benefit of all people. This will include accounts of the visit of the resurrected Lord to what we call the lost tribes of Israel and his revelations to all the seed of Abraham. Now, it's always been my opinion that there are scriptures or there are records kept by people all across the world. And we've only been given the Book of Mormon. Of Christ's Christ's visits you're talking about? Exactly. When we know that Jesus Christ, after he visits a Nephi, says, I've got to go and visit all the other people. So yeah, we know that And
0: he's gone for has gone
1: for a long time. Exactly. So we know that he does he goes and visits people all around the world and we know there are people all around the world by that stage. Someone would have written down because I mean we're told all the time to keep journals, keep diaries, things like that. So if Jesus Christ visited a people that don't, he would have said, Hey, write this down for your posterity. And so there'll definitely be books out there and it even says, you know, John does say, you know, that the world wouldn't even be able to contain the books of the things that jesus did so yeah i always just thought that was a really interesting thing and it sort of goes in with what you've found that there's lost books books in secret
0: yeah, amazing. Yeah, great thought. Yeah, really interesting. We could probably talk about that for a really long time. That's right,
1: yeah. So we still got two more chapters to get through, though. we still got 14 and 15. That's right, yeah, yeah. I mean, I haven't even finished chapter 13, but... Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I just want to mention one quick thing in verse 42. This is talking about uh, the last days. So chapter 12, this is talking about Nephi's posterity and the destruction. Chapter 13 is talking about the future, the discovery of America, and then further... Uh, revelations and further things coming after that and he says that after he manifests himself unto the jews and also unto the gentiles he shall manifest himself unto the gentiles also and unto the jews and the last shall be the first and the first shall be the last so he's talking about he's come to the jews and then he's come to the gentiles but when he comes back he will visit the gentiles and then the jews this is something that i've always liked to look at through the years see when jesus christ comes back uh, bruce mcconkey says in the millennial messiah that before he visited the jews and the gentiles now he will visit the gentiles in secret and he will appear to members of the church he will come in private to his prophets and apostles then living those who held keys and powers and authorities in all ages adam will be present also and i thought that was one simple verse explains that you know, when Jesus comes back, the Gentiles will be the chosen people that he visited first. So I always thought, in my opinion, I've always felt that when Jesus comes back, it will be a general conference. We will all come together for a special conference and we will all see him at the same time. Yeah, no,
0: I think I think we've, you and I have talked about this before, actually, that there's so much media. there's so There's so much of everything that makes sense to come back to the chosen people at that time. Yeah. Certainly our, our opinion.
1: So moving on to chapter 14 then. This is where it really gets into the two churches. The Church of the Lamb of God and the Church, well, the Great and Abominable Church is how he describes it. You know, we've sort of danced around what the Great and Abominable Church is and Bruce R. McConkey explains it in The Millennial Messiah. He says that the Church of the Devil is every evil and worldly organization on earth, both Christian and non-Christian, governments and power that run counter to the divine will. Societies, political parties, labor unions, communists, Islam, Buddhist, Germany under Hitler, Russia under Stalin, Italy under Mussolini. Anything that is evil and is influenced by the devil is of the church of the devil. And I always thought that was very Intense to well, I mean, it's a strong name. All of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Even just you know, it's a testimony to us to go. We are of the Lamb of God because we are away from all of these other worldly things. We're not here to gain riches and gain power. We're here to to follow His will.
0: And and sometimes I think that we 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 overanalyze things too much. You know, paralysis through analysis. We say at work sometimes. You look at something so much to find an answer that isn't there. The scriptures would not say of all the 2 million religions that are around, this one is good and this other one is bad. What about the other 1.9998 million? Right. Like, what about them? There's 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 the right one and then there's the rest. Don't worry about categorizing them. There's the right one and then there's everything else. In- That's right.
1: Interestingly, Nephi does point out that the power of the Lamb of God's church, he says, the power of the Lamb of God, that it descended upon the saints of the Church of the Lamb, upon the covenant people of the Lord. Now this is talking about the priesthood being bestowed upon... The power of the Lamb of God, yeah. Yeah, the priesthood being bestowed upon the people of the Church of the Lamb of God. And I guess that's the major difference of the two, you know, of the Lamb of God and of the Church of the Devil.
0: Probably important to say, right, it's that there's not evil or wicked people everywhere else except within our particular brand of religion. Most definitely not. Like that would that would be crazy. That would be crazy to say that. But what we are affirming is that in terms of your religious worship there's right and there's wrong. That's right.
1: Moving on to the next part Nephi then sees in vision John the Revelator, just as Lehi did. You know, he sees a man dressed in white, which makes me wonder if the man dressed in white showing Lehi possibly John it's the John. Revelator. But I don't know. Mm. I'm not going to say that's the sure. case. But he does see a man in white, and he's shown that this is one of the Twelve Apostles of the Lamb of God, and he's going to write the remainder, thing, the remainder of the things that's been seen, which is the Book of Revelations. So it's, again, the same message from the angel. Hey, here's John the Revelator. He's been the one ordained to speak of these particular things.
0: Uh, uh, yeah, I do I do think that it might be a point that that was John's assignment was to visit Lehi and to visit Nephi and others when teaching this particular part. The, I think that makes a lot of good sense. Okay, we, do we have anything else to get through in these? We've been talking for quite a bit now. And we don't really want to go too much more. There is a little bit more in chapter fifteen, but we've comprehensively covered quite a bit. Should we leave
1: fifteen? I think you, you could definitely read fifteen yourself. There's a lot of good information in there, but yeah, like you said, we've been we've been we've gone through a lot today. So I think we've got to wrap it yeah, up. Yeah,
0: and. The- there's great stuff in there. You know, I'm just looking at my scriptures here. The Abrahamic covenant is talked about as well. Um, I do have a quote in verse Nephi thirteen thirty-seven, and it just caught my eye when you were talking just then. And blessed are they who shall seek to bring forth my Zion at that day, for they shall have the gift and the power of the Holy Ghost. And if they endure unto the end, they shall be lifted up at the last day and shall be saved in the everlasting kingdom of the Lamb. And whoso shall publish peace, yea, tidings of great joy, how beautiful upon the mountains shall they be. That is us. Blessed are they. That is us. The, this, this verse is talking about us. And I thought that that would be great to, to end this, this episode on. See you all next week. We're grateful for your tuning in and your downloading of our podcast. We're grateful for all of the questions and some of the comments that we've got written into us as well we will be back we will see you next week uh, for episode number five and as we continue this come follow me journey together here in 2024
1: see you then